Chapter 5 of Beric the Briton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Ullman. Beric the Briton. Chapter 5. The Sack of Camelodium. Upon the morning of the day fixed for the gathering of the Iceni, preparations were begun early at Carnum. Oxen and swine were slaughtered, great fires made, and the women in the village were all employed in making and baking oaken cakes upon the hearth. For some days many of them had been employed in making a great store of fermented honey and water. Men began to flock in from an early hour, and by midday every male of the Sarsi capable of bearing arms had come in. Each brought with him a supply of cooked meat and cakes, sufficient to last for three or four days. In the afternoon the tribes began to pour in, each tribe under its chiefs. There was no attempt at order or regularity. They came trooping in in masses, the chiefs sometimes in chariots, sometimes on horseback riding at their head. Parta welcomed them, and food was served out to the men while the chiefs were entertained in the hall. Beric, looking at the wild figures, rough and uncouth, but powerful and massive in frame, was filled with regret that these men knew nothing of discipline, and that circumstances had forced on the war so suddenly. The contrast between these wild figures and the disciplined veterans of Rome whom he had so often watched as they performed their exercises, was striking indeed. Far inferior in height and muscular power to the tribesmen, the legionaries bore themselves with a proud consciousness in their fighting power that alone went a long way towards giving them victory. Each man trusted not only in himself, but on his fellows, and believed that the legion to which he belonged was invincible. Their regular arms, their broad shields and helmets all added to their appearance, while their massive formation, as they stood shoulder to shoulder, shield touching shield, seemed as if it could defy the utmost efforts of undisciplined valor. However, Beric thought with pride that his own tribe, the 1,600 men he had for six weeks been training incessantly, would be a match even for the Roman veterans their inferiority in the discipline that was carried to such perfection among the romans would be atoned for by their superior strength and activity his only fear was that in the excitement of battle they would forget their teaching and breaking their ranks fight every man for himself he had however spared no pains in impressing upon them that to do this would be to throw away all that had been learned I have not taught you to fight in Roman fashion, he said, merely that you should march in regular order and astonish the other tribesmen, but that you should be cool and collected, should be able patiently to stand the shock of the Roman legions and to fight, not as scattered units, but as a solid whole. You will do well to bear this in mind, for to those who disobey orders and break the line when engaged with the foe, I will show no mercy. My orders will be given to each sergeant of ten men to run a spear through any man who stirs from his post, whether in advance or in retreat, whether to slay or to plunder. The time may come 
when the safety of the whole army depends upon your standing like a wall between them and the romans and the man who advances from his place to the ranks will as much as the man who retreats endanger the safety of all over and over again had he impressed this lesson upon them sometimes he had divided them in two parts and engaged in mimic fight the larger half representing the tribesmen advanced in their ordinary fashion with loud shouts and cries while the smaller section maintained their solid formation and with level spears five deep waited the attack even those were at least impressed with the advantages of the exercise through which they had been going could not but feel how immensely superior was the solid order and how impossible would it have been for assailants to burst through the hedge of pointed weapons by sunset well nigh thirty thousand men had arrived each sub-tribe passing through the village and taking up its post on the slopes around it where they were at once supplied with food by the women with the fighting men were large numbers of women for those generally accompanied the britons on their warlike expeditions just at sunset a shout arose from the tribesmen on the north side of the village Brodisha, with her daughters and chief counsellors drove into the village her mind was proud and lofty she had carried a spear in her hand and a sword in a girdle she had resumed her royal ornaments and a fillet of gold surrounded her head her garments were belted in with a broad girdle of the same metal and she wore heavy gold armlets and bracelets she looked with pride upon the tribesmen who thronged shouting to greet her and exclaimed as she leaped from her chariot the day of vengeance is at hand the fires blazed high all that night round cardam numbers of bards had accompanied the tribes as not only had those who lived in the households of the principal chiefs come in but many had been attracted from the country lying near their borders at every fire therefore songs were sung and tales told of the valor and glory of the heroes of old mingled with these were laments over the evil days that had befallen britain and exhortations to their heroes to avenge the past and prove themselves worthy of their ancestors in similar manner the night was passed in parter's hall here the chief bards were assembled with all the tribal leaders and vied with each other in their stirring chants beric moved about among the guests seeing that their wants were supplied while parter herself looked after those who were gathered on the dais beric learned from the old chief aska who had first spoken to him on the day of their arrival at the sacred oak that all britain was ripe for the rising and that messengers had been received not only from the brigantes but from many of the southern and western tribes with assurances that they would rise as soon as they heard that the iceni had struck the first blow the trinobantes will join us at camelodium all goes well suetonius with the legions is still in the far west we shall make an end of them here before he can return by that time we shall have been joined by most of the tribes and shall have a force that will be sufficient to destroy utterly the army he is leading that done there will be but the isolated forts to capture and destroy and then britain will be free 
from the invader. You think this will be so, Beric? I hope and trust so, Beric replied. I think that success in our first undertaking is a certainty, and I trust we may defeat Suetonius. With such numbers as we shall put in the field, we ought surely to be able to do so. It is not of the present, I think, so much as of the future. Rome never submits to defeat, and will send an army here to which that of Suetonius will be but a handful. But if we remain united and utilize the months that must elapse before the Romans can arrive in preparing for the conflict, we ought to be victorious. You feel sure that the Romans will try to reconquer Britain? Quite sure. In all their history, there is not an instance where they have submitted to defeat. This is one of the main reasons of their success. I am certain that, at whatever sacrifices, they will equip and send out an army that they will believe powerful enough for the purpose. But there were many years after their first invasion before they came again. That is true, but in those first two invasions, they did not conquer. In the first, they were forced to retire and therefore came again. In the second, they had success enough to be able to claim a victory and so to retire with honor. Besides, Rome is vastly stronger and more powerful now than she was then. Believe me, Aska, the struggle will be but begun when we have driven the last Roman from the island. We must talk of this again, Aska said, as it is upon us that the brunt of this struggle will fall. We shall have the chief voice and influence after it is over, and Boadicea will stand in a place that Cunobelin held, of chief king of the island. Then, as you say, much will depend on the steps we take to prepare to resist the next invasion, and young as you are, your knowledge of Roman ways will render your counsel valuable and give great weight to your advice. I do not wish to put myself in any way in the foreground, Beric said. I am still but a boy and have no wish to raise my voice in the council of chiefs. But what I have learned of Roman history and Roman laws, I would gladly explain to those who, like yourself, speak with the voice of authority and whose wisdom all recognize. In the morning, Bordacia said that reports had been brought to her of the manner in which Beric had been teaching the Sarci to fight in Roman fashion and that she should be glad to see the result. Accordingly, the tribesmen proceeded to the open fields a mile away where they had been accustomed to drill, and they were followed by the whole of those gathered round the village. The queen and Parter drove out in their chariots. When they reached the spot, the chiefs of the other tribes, at Beric's request, called upon their men to draw off and leave a space sufficient for the exercise. This left the Sarsi standing in scattered groups over the open space, at one end of which Brodacia and all the chiefs were gathered. They are now in the position, Queen Beric said, of men unsuspecting danger. I shall now warn them that they are about to be attacked and that they are to gather instantly to repel the enemy. Taking the couch slung over his shoulder, Beric applied it to his lips and blew three short notes. The tribesmen ran together. There was, as if it seemed to the lookers-on, a scene of wild confusion for a minute, and then they were drawn up in companies, each a hundred strong in regular order, 
a short blast and a long one, and they moved up together into a mass, five deep, a single note, and the spear fell, and an array of glistening ports shone in front of them. A shout of surprise and approval rose from the tribesmen looking on. To them, this perfect order and regularity seemed well-nigh miraculous. Beric now advanced to the line. At his order, the two rear ranks stepped backwards a few feet, struck their steers in the ground, and then discharged their javelins, of which each man carried six over the heads of the ranks in front, against the enemy supposed to be advancing to attack them. Then, seizing their spears... They fell into line again, and in another order the whole advanced at a quick pace with level spears to the charge and keeping on till within a few paces of where the queen was standing, halted suddenly and raised their spears. Again a roar of applause came from the tribesmen. It is wonderful, the queen said. I had not thought that men could be taught so to move together, and that is how the Romans fight Beric. It is, Queen, Beric said. The exercises are exactly similar to those of the Romans. I learnt them by heart when I was among them, and the orders are exactly the same as those given in the legions. Only, of course, they are performed by trained soldiers more perfectly than we can as yet do them. It is but two months since we began, and the Romans have practiced them for years. Had I time, you would have seen them much more perfect than at present. You have performed marvels, she said. I wish that you had more time, and that all the Iceni, and not the Sarsi only, could have thus learned to meet the enemy. Do you not think so, chiefs? It is wonderful, one of the chiefs said, but I think that it is not so terrifying to a foe as the rush of our own men. It is better for resistance, but not so good for attack. Still, it has great merits, but I think it is more suited for men who fight deliberately like the Romans than our own tribesmen who are wont to rely for victory, each upon his own strength and valor. What say you, Beric? the queen asked. It would be presumptuous for me to give my opinion against that of a great chief, Beric said quietly. But so far, strength and valor have not in themselves succeeded. The men of Caractactus had both, but were unavailing against the solid Roman line. We have never yet won a great victory over the Romans, and yet we have fought against them valiantly. None can say that a Briton is not as brave and as strong as a Roman. In our battles, we have always outnumbered them. If we have been beaten, therefore, it has been surely because the Roman method of fighting is superior to our own. There was a murmur of assent from several of the chiefs. Beric's argument is a strong one, the queen said to the one who had spoken, and I would that all the Iceni had learned to fight in this fashion. However, we shall have opportunities of seeing which is right before we have finished with the Romans. March your men back again, Beric. Beric sounded his horn, and the line facing half around became a column and marched in regular order back to the village. The morning meal was now taken, and at midday the march began. Brodisha, with her daughters, Potter, and other women of rank, went first in their chariots, and the Sarsi, 
who, as lying next to the enemy's country, were allowed the post of honor, followed in column behind her, while the rest of the tribesmen made their way in a miscellaneous crowd through the forest. They halted among the trees at a distance of four miles from Camelodian, and then rested, for the attack was not to take place until daybreak on the next morning. Late that evening, two or three women of the Trinobantes came out, in accordance with a preconcerted arrangement, to tell them that there was no suspicion at Camelodian of the impending danger, and that although there was great uneasiness among the inhabitants, no measures for defense had been taken, and that even the precaution of sending away the women and children had not been adopted. No fires had been lighted. The men slept in the open air, simply wrapping themselves in their mantis and lying down under the trees. Beric had a long talk with Bodiark and ten of the tribesmen of the latter's company. You understand, Beric said at last, that if, as I expect, the surprise will be complete and no regular resistance will be offered, I shall sound my horn and give the signal for the tribe to break ranks and scatter. You ten men will, however, keep together and at once follow Boduoc and myself as soon as we enter the house, to which I shall lead you. You will surround the two persons I shall place in your charge and will conduct them to the spot where the chariot will be waiting. You will defend them, if necessary, with your lives. Should any disobey my order to let you pass through with them, as soon as they are placed in the chariot, you will be free to join in the sack. And if you should be losers by the delay, I myself will make up your shares to that of your comrades. You are sure, Boduoc, that all the other arrangements are perfect. Everything is arranged, Boduoc, my brother, who drives the chariot that brought your mother's attendants. Quite understands that he is to follow as soon as we move off, and keeping a short way behind us, is to stop in front of the last house outside the gate until we come. As soon as he has taken them up, he will drive off and give them into the charge of our mother, who has promised you to have everything in readiness for them the skins for beds, drinking vessels, food, and everything else necessary was taken there two days ago. My sisters will see to the comfort of the young lady, and you can rely upon my mother to carry out all the orders you have given her. Our hut lies so deeply in the forest that there is little chance of anyone going near it, especially as the whole of the men of the tribe are away. Two hours before daylight, the Asini moved forward, they were to attack at a number of different points, and each chief had had his position allotted to him. The Sarsi were to move directly against the northern gate and would form the center of the attack. Each man, by Beric's order, carried a faggot so that these could be piled against the wall by the gate and enable them to effect an entrance without the delay that would be incurred in breaking down the massive gates. They passed quietly through the cultivated fields and passed the houses scattered about outside the walls, whose inhabitants had withdrawn into the city since the alarm spread. They halted at a short distance from the gate, for sentries would be on guard there and remained 
for nearly an hour, as many of the other tribesmen had a considerably longer distance to go to reach their appointed stations. A faint light was beginning to steal over the sky when, far away on their right, a horn sounded. It was repeated again and again, each time nearer, and ran along far to the left. Then, rising their war cry, the Saucy dashed forward to the gate. The shouts of the sentinels on the walls had arisen as soon as the first horn sounded, and had scarcely died away when the Saucy reached the gate. Each man, as he arrived, threw down his faggot, and the pile soon reached the top of the wall. Then Beric led the way up and stood on the Roman work. The sentry, seeing the hopelessness of resistance, had already fled, and the Saucy poured in. A confused clamor of shouts and cries rose from the town, above which sounded the yells of the exulting Iceni. Beric gave the signal to the Saucy to scatter, and the tribesmen at once began to attack the houses. Placing himself at the head of Boduoc's chosen party, Beric ran forward. Already from some of the houses armed men were pouring out, but disregarding these, Beric pressed on until he reached the house of Chaos Muro. His reason for haste was that, standing rather on the other side of town, it was nearer the point assailed by one of the other divisions of the tribe than to the north gate, and he feared that others might arrive there before him. Reaching the door, he beat upon it with a handle of a saw. Open, Cineus, he shouted. It is I, Beric. The door was opened at once, and he ran forward into the atrium, which was filled with frightened slaves, who burst into cries of terror as, followed by his men, he entered. Where are you, Cineus? Beric shouted. I am here, the scribe replied from his cubicle. I will be with you in a moment. It is but a minute since we were awoke by the uproar. Be quick, Beric said. This, there is not a moment to be lost. Run up to the woman's apartments, he said to a slave. Tell your mistress to hurry down, for that every minute is precious. Almost immediately, Baroness came down the stairs in a disguise as a British boy, and at the same moment, Cineas issued from his room. Come, Baroness, Beric said. There is not a moment to be lost. The town is in our hands, and if others of the tribe arrive, I might not be able to save you. Hurrying them from the house, he ordered the men to close round them, and then started on his way back. A terrible din was going on all around, yells, shouts, and screams arising from every house. Flames were bursting up at a dozen points. To his great satisfaction, Beric reached the point where the Sarsi were at work, breaking into houses before he encountered any of the other Iceni. The men were too busy to pay any attention to the little group of their own tribesmen passing through these they were soon at the gate it already stood open the bolts having been drawn by those who first entered fifty yards from the wall stood the chariot now you can leave us beric said to his followers i will rejoin you soon baroness was crying bitterly horror-stricken at the sounds she had heard though happily she had seen nothing being closely shut in by the tall forms of her gods. 
Thanks be to the gods that I have saved you, Baroness Beric said, and you also, Sinuus. Now I must commit you to the care of the driver of the chariot, who is one of my tribesmen. He will take you to a retreat where you will, I trust, be in perfect safety until the troubles are over. His mother has promised to do all in her power for your comfort. You will find one of our huts but a rough abode, but it will at least be a shelter. Cannot you come with us, Beric? the girl sobbed. That I cannot do, Berenice. I am a Briton and a chief, and I must be with my tribe. And now I must away. Farewell, Berenice. May your gods and mine watch over you. Farewell, my kind teacher. He took off the torque, the collar formed of a number of small metal cords interlaced with each other, the emblem of rank and command, and handed it to the driver. You will show this to any you meet, for it may be that you will find parties of latecomers on the road. This will be a proof that you are journeying on my business and under my orders. Do not stop and let them question you, but driving quickly along. And if they should shout and bid you stop, hold up the talk and shout, I travel at speed by my chief's order. Do you both sit down in the chariot, he said to the other. Then, as you journey rapidly along, it will be supposed that you are either wounded or messengers of importance. Farewell. Cineus and the girl had already mounted the chariot, and the driver now gave the horses rein and started at full speed. Beric turned and re-entered the town slowly. In those days, pity for the vanquished was a sentiment but little comprehended, and he had certainly not learned it among the Romans, who frequently massacred their prisoners wholesale. Woe to the vanquished was all a maximum with them. But Beric shrank from witnessing the scene. Now that the tables were turned upon the oppressors, nationally he hated the Romans, but individually he had no feeling against them. And had he had the power, he would at once have arrested the effusion of blood. He wished to drive them from the kingdom, not to massacre them. But he knew well that he had no power whatever in such a matter. Even his own tribesmen would not have stayed their hand at his command. To slay a Roman was to them a far more meritorious action than to slay a wolf, and anyone who urged mercy would have been regarded not only as a weakling, but as a traitor. Already the work was well nigh done. Pouring in on all sides into the city, the Iceni had burst into the houses and slain their occupants, whether they resisted or not. A few men here and there sold their lives dearly, but the great majority had been too panic-stricken with the sudden danger to attempt the slightest resistance. Some of the inhabitants whose houses were near the temple had fled thither for refuge before the assailants reached them, but in half an hour from the striking of the first blow, these and the troops there were the sole survivors of the population of Camelodian. For the present, the temple was disregarded. It was known that the garrison did not exceed 400, and there was no fear of so small a body assuming the offensive. The work of destruction had commenced. There was but little plundering, for the Britons despised the Roman luxuries, of the greater part of which they did not even comprehend the use. 
they were roman and therefore to be hated as well as despised save therefore weapons which were highly prized and gold ornaments which were taken as trinkets for the women at home nothing was saved as the defendants of each house were slain fire was applied to hangings and curtains and then the assailants hurried away in search of fresh victims thus the work of destruction proceeded concurrently with that of massacre and as the sun rose vast columns of smoke mounting upward conveyed the news to the women of the iceni and trinobantes for a circle of many miles round that the attack had been successful and that camelodium the seat of their oppressors was in flames beric as he made his way towards the centre of the town sighed as he passed the shop where two months before he had stopped a moment to look at the rolls of vellum the destruction of the monuments of roman luxury the houses with their costly contents and even the palace of cunobeline which had been converted into the residence of the roman governor had not affected him but he mourned over the loss of the precious manuscripts which had contained such a wealth of stored-up learning already the house was wrapped in flames which were rushing from the windows and the prize which he had looked upon as his own special share of the plunder had escaped him at the edge of the broad open space that surrounded the temple of claudius the britons were gathering thickly beric applied his horn to his lips and in a few minutes the saucy gathered round him bidding them stand in order he moved away to see what disposition was being made for the attack on the temple but at present all were too excited with their success for any to assume the lead or give orders at the first rush parties of the britons had made for the temple but it had been received with showers of darts and stones and had been met on the steps by the roman soldiers and roughly repulsed walking round he came upon the chariots of boadicea the queen was flushed with excitement and gratified vengeance and was shaking her spear menacingly towards the temple her eye presently fell upon beric the work has begun well my young chief but we have still to crush the wolves in their den it is a strong place with its massive walls unpierced save by the doorway at each end but we will have them out if to do so we are forced to tear it down stone by stone i trust that we shall not be as long as that would take queen beric said for we have other work to do just at this moment one of the chiefs of the trinobentes came up queen bodacia he said we crave that we may be allowed to storm the temple it is built on our ground as a sign of our subjection and we would fain ourselves capture it be it so the queen replied do you understand the task at once the trinobantes who had joined the iceni in the attack on the town presently gathered with loud shouts and under their chiefs the trinobantes who had joined the iceni in the attack on the town presently gathered with loud shouts and under their chiefs rushed at the temple from the roof darts and stones were showered down upon them but though many were killed they swarmed up the broad steps that surrounded it on all sides and attacked the doors beric shook his head and returning to his men led them off down one of the broad streets to an open space a short distance away 
this will be our gathering place he said do not wander far away and return quickly at the sound of my horn we may be wanted presently i do not think that the trinobantes will take the temple in that fashion they had indeed advanced entirely unprovided with proper means of assault the massive gates against which the romans had piled stones caskets provisions and other heavy articles were not to be broken down by such force as the britons could bring against them in vain those chopped with their swords upon the woodwork the gates were constructed of oak and the weapons scarce marked them in vain they threw themselves twenty abreast against them the door hardly quivered at the shock and in the meantime the assailants were suffering heavily for from openings in the roof extending from the building itself to the pillars that surrounded it the romans dropped missiles upon them for some time the trinobantes persevered and then their chief seeing that the attempt was hopeless called off their followers no fresh attempt was made for a time and brodicia established herself in one of the few houses that escaped the flames and there presently the chiefs assembled various suggestions were made but at last it was decided to batter in the doors with a heavy tree and a strong party of men were at once dispatched to fell and prepare two of suitable size the operation was a long one as the trees were found had to be brought down by lighting fires against the trunks and it was nightfall before they fell and the branches were cut off it was decided therefore to postpone the attack until the next day beric had not been present at the council to which only a few of the leading chiefs had been summoned but he doubted when he heard what had been decided upon whether the attack would be successful it was settled that the trinobantes were to attack the door at one end of the temple and the iceni that at the other late in the evening the chariot returned and beric was greatly relieved to hear that the fugitives had been placed in safety and that the journey had been made without interference he was glad to recover his talk for its absence would have excited surprise when men's minds were less occupied and excited not until he recovered it could he go see parta who was lodged with the queen but as soon as he recovered it he went in every sign of roman habitation and luxury had been as far as possible obliterated by the order of Boadicea before she entered the house hangings had been pulled down statues overthrown and the paintings on the plaster chipped from the walls what have you been doing all day beric his mother asked i looked to see you long before this and should have thought that some accident had befallen you had i not known that the news would have been speedily brought to me had it been so i have been looking after the tribesmen mother i should have come in to see you but did not wish to intrude among the chiefs in council with the queen you represented the saucy here and had we been wanted you would have sent for me who are to attack the temple tomorrow? Not the Saucy, my son. Unsum begged that he and his tribe might have the honor, and the queen and council granted it to him. I am glad of it, mother. The duty is a honorable one, but the loss will be heavy, and others can do the work as well as we could, and I want to keep our men from the shock of battle with the legions. 
Moreover, I doubt whether the doors would be battered down in the way they propose. You do, Beric, and why is that? The speaker was Aska, who had just left a group of chiefs gathered round the queen at the other end of the apartment and had come close without Beric hearing him. The lad colored. I spoke only for my mother's hearing, sir, he said. To no one else should I have ventured to express an opinion on a course agreed upon by those who are older and wiser than myself. That is right, Beric. The young should be silent in the presence of their elders. Nevertheless, I should like to know why you think the assault is likely to fail. It was really not my own opinion I was giving, sir. I was thinking of the manner in which the Romans, who are accustomed to besiege places with high walls and strong gates, proceed. They have made these matters a study, while to us an attack upon such a place is altogether new, seeing that none such exists in Britain save those that the Romans have erected. How would they proceed, Beric? They would treat an attack upon such a place as a serious matter, not to be undertaken rashly and hastily, but only after great preparation. In order to batter down a gate or a wall, they use heavy beams, such as those that have been prepared for tomorrow. But they affix to the head a shoe of iron or brass. They do not swing it upon men's arms, seeing it would be most difficult to get so many men to exercise their strength together, and indeed could not give it the momentum required. But we propose to have the beam carried by fifty men, and for all to rush forward together and drive it against the door. If the door were weak and would yield to the first blow, that might avail, Beric said. But unless it does so, the shock will throw down the tree and the men bearing it. Many will be grievously hurt. Moreover, if, as will surely be the case, many of the bearers fall under the darts of the Romans as they approach, others will stumble over their bodies, and the speed of the hold will be greatly checked. Then can you tell me how the Romans act in such a case, Beric? Yes, sir. I have frequently heard relations of sieges from soldiers who have taken part in them. They build, in the first place, movable towers or sheds running on wheels. These towers are made strong enough to resist the stones and missiles the besieged may hurl against them. Under cover of the shelter, men push up the towers to the door or wall to be battered. The beam is then slung on ropes hanging from the inside of the tower. Other ropes are attached. Numbers of men take hold of these and, working together, swing the beam backwards and forwards so that each time it strikes the wall or door a heavy blow. As the beam is of great weight and many men work it, the blows are well nigh irresistible, and the strongest walls crumble and the most massive gates splinter under the shock of its iron head. The Romans truly are skilled warriors. Aska said, we are but children in the art of war beside them, and methinks it would be difficult indeed for us to construct such a machine, though mayhap it could be done had we with us many men skilled in the making of chariots. But sometimes, Beric, they must have occasion to attack places where such machines could not well be used. In that case, sir, they sometimes make what they call a tortoise. The soldiers link their broad shields together so as to form a complete covering 
resembling the back of a tortoise, and under the shelter of this they advanced to the attack. When they reached the foot of the wall, all remained immovable save those in the front line who labored with iron bars to loosen the stones at the foot of the wall, protected from missiles from above by the shields of their comrades. From time to time, they are relieved by fresh workers until the foundations of the wall are deeply undermined. As they proceed, they erect massive props to keep up the wall, and finally fill up the hole with combustibles. After lighting these, they retire. When the props are consumed, the wall, of course, falls, and they then rush forward and climb the breach. Truly, Beric, you have profited by your lessons, Aska said, laying his hand kindly on the lad's shoulder. The Druids spoke wisely when they prophesied a great future for you. Before we have done, we may have many Roman strongholds to capture, and when we do, I will see that the council order that your advice be taken as to how they should be attacked. But in this matter, tomorrow things must remain as they are. Unser is a proud chief and headstrong, and would not brook any interference. Should he be repulsed in the assault, I will advise the queen to call up the Saucy and allow you to proceed in your own manner. I will do my best, sir, but time is needed for proceeding according to the first Roman method, and our shields are too small for the second. The place should be taken by tomorrow night, for Cerealius would assuredly move with his legion to relieve it as soon as he hears the news of our attack. That is what has been in our minds, Aska said. Well, what do you say, Beric? After what I saw the other day of the movements you have taught your tribe, I should be sorry to have their ranks thinned in a hopeless attack upon the temple. I would rather that we should leave it for the present and march out to meet Cerealius, leaving a guard here to keep the Romans hemmed in until we have time to deal with them. Beric stood for a minute or two without answering and then said, I will undertake it, sir, with the Sarsi should Unser's attack fail. End of chapter 5